You're listening to And hey everyone, welcome back to the Good Pop Culture Club, episode 12, is it 12? Episode 13 for Friday, July the 3rd, 2020. Um, how's everyone doing? Happy July, everybody. Gross. I hate it. <laughs> you know, I was um, thinking about it and this is the first like normal, like early summer we've had in a long time here in L.A., I can't remember the last time we actually had a June gloom during June. What are you talking about? We always have a June gloom. Do you just not go out? I don't <laughs> You just don't go out. There's always a June gloom, Marvin. <laughs> That's why there's a name for it. It's called June gloom. But I feel like the last few years, we've skipped straight to summer. Because usually June gloom is like the period of like coolness right before the worst like heat comes you know no no it's it's the period of mugginess before pure heat comes because <laughs> i studied this environmental science <laughs> um you know all the hot air is just trapping all the griminess and yeah it gets a little like there's like a weird dip um like i think it just rained like sprinkled like yesterday but there's always a june gloom i, I think you just were always inside never noticing that could also be true to be honest Sorry, I didn't mean sucks. to call you out like this publicly, <laughs> but I'm just letting you know. Let's just go back to saying, thing. hey, it's July. Um, I was playing Animal Crossing. And Isabel told me that the year is half over, which, what? Yeah, and I'm we're, we're heading into the fourth month of Shelter in Place, which is great. Yeah, it's and great. we're about, yeah, and, you know, we tried coming out of it and we fucked it up. So now we're going back into Shelter in Place. You know, had I known that like summer 2020 was going to be canceled, I would have gone harder last summer. Um, but, you know, you live and you learn. <laughs> oh, I mean, I'm glad because, you know, I clearly had my bikini body ready, but uh, <laughs> 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 or whatever. It just I, I'm, I'm in some ways I'm kind of I don't want to say glad because this is a horrible time. But it's just like I feel like at least people in LA are kind of like reconsidering what's important to them. And I'm sort of over people being like talking about, let's say the bikini body and all that type of stuff. And like, I love being out and I love going to the beach, but it just like, there are definitely other things um, that are more important or at least yeah. equally important. Like staying so. alive. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but you know, they're, they're finding wonderful movies and TV shows and like figuring out ways to connect with people. So yeah. Yeah. <laughs> One might say they're finding the good pop that's getting them through their days. Mm. Uh, nice tie is, in, Marvin. Which is what this podcast is about. <laughs> My name is Marvin Yeah, Joining me once again to talk about all the good pop that we love. Uh, self-proclaimed professional Asian American, Just Jew. Hello. And culture editor, Han Wen. Hey, hey. How's it going? You already asked this. We were running over. I? Marvin, <laughs> are we Marvin, loop? the quarantine is turning your brain into mush. I get it. I get it. But it, it's fine. I, I'll help you out. Han, what's popping? <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, by the time this podcast comes out, you will be able to watch this on Netflix. It is the adaptation of Babysitter's Club. Uh this is uh, produced by and show run by Rachel Schuchert, who was a producer on Glow. Um, another producer is Lucia um, Aniello from Broad City. There are definitely some funny moments on the show, and it's based on the books by Anne M. Martin. Um, it's 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 a series of books that most young women in America read in the past. Uh, let's say I would say venture twenty to thirty years. Um, I stayed away from them like the plague because it had babysitters in the title. <laughs> and I just thought it was all about babysitting, which to a certain extent it kind of is, but it really is about friendships. Um, but I was curious to watch the series because um, one of the biggest things about it was always Claudia Kishi is the one of the first like an only Asian American characters in like youth fiction um, in that era. And she was not a stereotypical Asian, meaning she wasn't a nerd. She wasn't like, you know, playing violin. She wasn't doing any of that. She was um, she's and is an artist um, who is bad at 
school and math, but, you know, uh, is very fashion forward. She also hides snacks in her room. And um, the reason why the Babysitter's Club met in her room in the original books was because she was the only one who was cool enough to have a phone. And the way they kind of talked about it here and was she's the only one who's cool enough to have a landline. <laughs> so <laughs> it was very cute and um, stealthily progressive. Like I watched the first episode and I was like, I don't know about this. This seems like, <laughs> you know, uh, white America, Connecticut, small town. This is going to be rainbows and puppies. And I was like, you know, I was going to get annoyed. And then over the course of the 10 episodes, there have been there were some really interesting um, ways that they introduce topics because, of course, thinking about it, this is geared towards people who are younger than the protagonists who are around 12, uh, 11, 12, 13. So this is geared towards like teens. I mean, not not teens, tweens and stuff like that. And, you know, and adults who grew up with the series. So like the uh, um, a lot of the parents are people we know, like Alicia Silverstone. Um, what, wait, what's his name, Mark? Is it Mark Evan Jackson? Sean from Good Place? Yeah, yeah. So Mark Evan Jackson is a father in this. What? And he's great. <laughs> I know he's everywhere and we will reveal why he's everywhere soon enough. And then, um, so it's actually a really great cast and um, it's a multicultural cast. And when it comes to Claudia Kishi's character, she is played by um, a Japanese American girl and I forgot her name. Um, uh, but that does mean that there are, there's going to be, um, there was an episode that's devoted to her and her family. We also see because the babysitters club visits her household, um, that, uh, I don't know if anyone remembers this, but when, um, when angry Asian man made these sort of parody covers of the babysitters club books, and he did one where it said something like Claudia told her friends to take their fucking shoes off in her house. Um, And they do have a scene where kids take their shoes off when they go to her house, which I really appreciated. But so I know one of the producers on this and she is Mm -hmm. Asian American and she like posted about it. I was like, see, guys, yes, this is what happens when you have the right people behind the scenes. They take their fucking shoes off. I mean, social cues where you go into a house Mm-hmm. And then you see their shoes on the floor in front of the door. You should take their mm-hmm. shoes off. Yeah. This should not even be a racial or like a cultural mm-hmm. thing. This is just nasty to wear your shoes in the house. Yeah. Overall, I thought it was very sweet. There, it, it ends with, I don't, it's not much of a spoiler, but there's one character who's very much, uh, she's originally from LA. And so she's the, probably the most progressive and also very, uh, social justice warrior and so there is a bit of a protest at the end that we get to see and so there are so many moments in this series that i was like i really appreciate it and i think people will be surprised if they think it's too junior for them if they just kind of leave it on and see what's going on yeah jess did you read the babysitter's club when you were growing up I did not. I was more of a magic treehouse kind of gal, but I was a very big fan of the, I believe it was the 1993 movie, Babysitter's mm-hmm. Club. I can still like, uh, come on every na na na, na na na, hey. Oh, it was so great. Um, and then, you know, I, I also now realize like on the other side of 13, 12, 13, like I would not fucking trust a 12 year old to watch my children. No, They are also babies. <laughs> But I am very excited about this. It looks great. The kids look adorable. I will probably watch yeah. this long weekend. Very excited. And Claudia yeah. Kishi is played by uh, Momona Tamada. And I believe she's Japanese-Canadian. That would make sense. Okay. Because yeah. I was like, I think they did have to look. Oh, she's so cute. And just like from the stills I've seen, like the, the outfits are fantastic. The clothes on the show in general, but in particular, her character, of course, because she is the artist. Um, As yeah, it no, should be. Yes. And uh, yeah, you will also notice another Angry Asian Man t-shirt in one of the scenes that she's wearing. But uh, so, Jess. Yeah. How's everyone doing? What's popping? <laughs> how's, how's everyone doing today? <laughs> oh, Mar- Han, I think it's uh, time to put Marvin out to pasture. <laughs> It's okay. It's okay. It's nice out there. <laughs> shh, shh, it's okay. <laughs> uh, but I have been watching. I've been obsessed with 
We Bear Bears, the movie. So this is the survey. It's the movie, but it's also serving as the series finale to the Cartoon Network show created by Daniel Chong that um, that aired, I believe, first aired in like 2015. Uh, Daniel is also a cow bear, as am I. So go bears. And you could very much see it in like a lot of, you know, San Francisco, the Bay Area, like a lot of the opening sequences have references to like Berkeley. Um, and who knew that in the year of our Lord, 20, 2020, the one of the wokest movies was going to be We Bear Bears the Movie. <laughs> Talks is very anti-racist, anti-police brutality, anti-prejudice, uh, very pro-immigration. Like literally says this movie like literally says abolish ICE and fuck 12. And it's taking a harder stance on that than some other shows I have seen. Uh, which is kind of amazing because, you know, animation takes a little bit of more time to develop and storyboard. So the process, you know, must have started like a year or two ago for this. So the fact that this car, it came out this month, you know, it came out June 30th uh, for video on demand. It's available on all your platforms like Amazon, Google Play, iTunes, and is like so on point with so much of these relevant topics uh, is pretty us. Uh, both, I think, surreptitious or serendipitous, serendipitous, yeah. <laughs> yes, but also really attest to the people making it. So, like, if you look at the storyboard writing credits, because in animation, that's kind of both, you know, a lot of women, a lot of Asian Americans, uh, a lot of uh, there's, a, there's, I know there's like at least one Latinx animator. So, just very, you know, I think you can see that. And I, I think they're all pretty young too. Like, they are on younger or like younger than like what traditional filmmakers would be. So, it's very in touch. And also, just really funny stuff about like internet influencer culture, meme culture, kind of poking fun of that. It's amazing. Uh, great if you have kids. Great if you don't have kids. 10 out of 10 bears would recommend. <laughs> Highly recommend. I think we might dive into this deeper, but like, if anyone's seen the movie, just that ending sequence when when the music <laughs> kicks kicks in, and I won't spoil what song they use, but I was just fucking bawling, like, <laughs> cannot. Yeah, I mean, We Bears Bears for a long time has been like our stealth, like Asian representation in cartoons, right? Yeah, I mean, Dan has gone. The creator Dan has gone on record and said that it's really an allegory for the immigrant great experience because well, yeah. people are just kind of mean to the bears for no reason and that's kind of like yeah i mean there are three bears of- living in the city trying to be city people um and then there's there are certain times when like especially in this movie where they say yeah i never learned how to speak bear like we speak english yeah. we we participate and- in pop culture we make memes. And, yeah. And there are three different bears. It's a grizzly bear, a polar bear, and a panda bear. And yet they're all grouped under bears, just like Asian Americans <laughs> are grouped under one umbrella. Yeah, this is going deep, guys. I mean, I don't think this is too deep uh, because... I think he meant it all, but yeah, we can dive oh, yeah. even deeper yeah. if we want to. <laughs> later. I mean, I was really bummed to f- learn that this was going to be the series finale because I didn't realize it was ending. He is working on a apparently working on a spinoff that's the three bears, but as cubs. So mm. we're going to get more of the little baby bears. Oh, interesting. Because, uh, yeah, the movie does have sort of like flashback sequence. So and I, I was like, oh, the voices are so cute. Yeah. I mean, there there are actual episodes that are all about the baby bears. Oh, yes. The They're all cute. Yes. I mean, <laughs> there's like if, if you live near a mini so just like a Chinese Daiso dollar store. They are like stuffed to the rafters with Ooh. Wee Bear Bears yeah. merch. They're and all a, very cute. And um the bad guy here is a government like park ranger, right? Or, or He's a government, like a like, wildlife, wildlife manager. Agent. Agent, agent. Yeah. Played by once again, Mark Evan Jackson. Yes. Who's who phenomenal <laughs> as the as the baddie. Um, you know, just just like dripping with like waspy white man privilege in that voice it's it's done it's voiced and played very to great effect we'll say and daniel chan the showrunner actually tweeted that like yeah his the rhetoric that he uses against the bears is exactly what you think it is yeah i mean yes wildlife management but really he's ice abolish ice (laughs) so 
Yeah. It's great. <gasps> I would recommend it. But um, and Marvin, what's popping with you? Well, I just watched Eurovision Song Contest um, on Netflix. I'm sorry, colon, the story of Fire Saga. You got to say the <laughs> right, whole right, right. title. Because yes, it's, it's, it's different from the show, the actual. Yes, because it's not a Will Ferrell movie without a colon at the end. And That's very true. I mean, okay, so this is a Will Ferrell-ass Will Ferrell movie um, starring Will Ferrell and Rachel McAdams um, about a um, plucky, um, overconfident, and maybe talented person in a small town who dreams of winning the Eurovision Song Contest, which, um, before you watch this movie, did any of you actually know about Eurovision? I was definitely aware of Eurovision. I never watched it except for when um, Conchita Wurst won. That was a big, Mm. big, big deal. But I just always knew kind of in the back of my mind, like, oh, that's what Europe is doing. And I know it's crazy. (laughs) Um, But it's not like we got a feed over here. It's not like with the finale of, uh, let's say, Downton Abbey that I got maybe got on a uh, server that could get UK feeds um, and watch that illegally. But uh, yeah, so yeah, I never got into it. I'm pretty much like I was aware. I'd always listen to the winner song just because I was curious, (laughs) um, but never like followed the competition i i i have now since watched many of the old eurovisions (laughs) on youtube with to great delight yeah i had a Um, so i listened to a couple hosts that come from europe um and they always talk about how crazy it is how the scoring works how it's actually like super political Oh, no, it's great. It's like a mix. It's a cross between the Olympics, the World Cup, American Idol, and just like pure camp. Yeah. yeah. I, I, it's the great. Camp is the it's part I like the best, I think. It's, oh, I love it. I mean, it gave us ABBA. ABBA won in mm-hmm. 1974. Celine Dion won in like the 80s. It's it's great. Um, I would even say that the movie is even less problematic than the real thing because the real <laughs> Eurovision sometimes gets like oddly racially charged um, in that way Europeans do. Uh, but yeah, the movie was, I want to say, pretty delightful. It's definitely a throwback to like the late 2000s Will Ferrell movies like Anchorman, Talladega Nights. Um, Semi-Pro, I saw a lot of Semi-Pro in it. It's definitely a Will Ferrell movie. So if you don't like Will Ferrell, your mileage may vary because he's very much playing up his like, you know, what he does best. Um, but the good part is the jokes come so quickly that even if you're like cringing at what he does, the rest of the cast really pulls their weight. Like um Pierce Brosnan's great in it. Rachel McAdams like holds her own. Like she is amazing in it. I mean, um, she's always great though. That's the thing. It's like <laughs> they needed someone that strong to be able to be, you know, opposite him. And uh, Dan Stevens, I always love Dan Stevens too. He's a great actor who doesn't isn't used enough comedically. Yeah, and I he's he he picks really fun roles too. I feel like yeah. post Downton Abbey, he's just having a good time. I mean, that's why he left was so he could do stuff. <laughs> so he has no, been... good good move, Dan Stevens. Good yeah. move. No. Right, um, but really the star of the thing the really the, the best part of it is the music let's be real like the music, <laughs> music does not great. have the be the right to be this good it's not even like they're not even joke songs they're songs that you would you can like if you've seen any eurovision performance these are the songs that they perform oh absolutely <laughs> they're not parodies at all they very much are about like a lion of love <laughs> and like odd like sentences that don't seem to go together because um, there's because that's a thing right like yeah. when you have like scandinavian like swedish songwriters like things get lost in translation that's how we got shit like hit me baby one more time or mm-hmm. cake by the ocean so there's like a rap song called coolin with my homies <laughs> in this movie um uh, which I, I mean i don't think most i don't know if most americans realize that like all the great pop hits of like the last three decades have been written by literally like three probably three swedish like scandinavian pop writing firms <laughs> like it's max martin he wrote like a lot of britney spears i think he did the he might have worked BSB and then like One Direction uh, and like this like Euro pop trash is just it's just what I love and what I need in these sad, sad times. It's pretty amazing. But the best song is probably the one joke song in the entire series, which is um, 
Ya ya ding dong. How do you think Icelandic people feel about this whole thing? I, I, you know, yeah, yeah. Out of all out of all of the you know performances, I definitely do think that they're depicted the least um, sympathetically. Uh yeah, I'm curious. But then again, they do honor. That's a good mm. question. I, I don't know. I yeah. guess um, All right, hit hit us up, Iceland. <laughs> we want to know. But um, Conchita yeah. Wars actually does appear in the movie. There's like a music number in the middle where they <gasps> the all have song a song along. When they have a, a song off or, or it's song, song along. along. It's right. like sing along, but it's song along. <laughs> where everyone suddenly breaks in the song and there's like a techno beat and everyone's suddenly auto tune and that whole scene was well it made me done. So happy! It, it, like I hadn't felt that joy. Wa- like I haven't seen this since like Pitch Perfect, right? There, yeah, yeah. Like, I mean, it was- acapella battle is just beautiful. <laughs> all these Euro vision winners they're all like past eurovision winners they're all like yeah. really attractive and who can sing and you're just like i'm you know we can't get to europe in, a, in the foreseeable <laughs> future so this is just gonna have to do but yeah it's definitely one of, a good one of these so uh if you're into if you just want something fun to take your mind off of you know whatever life is at this point uh definitely check out eurovision um it's worth your time and it's a lot of fun and if anything like just said the music is pretty amazing just listen to it even if you don't watch a movie just listen to the soundtrack if you like like any part of lady gaga you'll like the soundtrack (laughs) yeah um so it's the end of the month um or the beginning of the month however you want to see it so when we come back we're going to talk about the latest entertainment news and ask ourselves do we want this we'll be right back Hey, I'm Phil Yu, and you may know me from a blog called Angry Asian Man. And I'm Jeff Yang, author, journalist, and celebrity dad. We host a podcast called They Call Us Bruce, an unfiltered conversation about what's happening in Asian America. Each week or so, we host a discussion about some of the most vital and interesting topics in our pop culture and our community, bringing in guests who are shaping and informing this thing called Asian America from Hollywood to D.C. and beyond. Uh, We've got media, entertainment, food, family, politics, representation, the good, the bad, the WTF of it all. So check us out wherever you get your podcasts or at theycallsbruce.com. Peace. Peace. And welcome back to the Good Pop Culture Club. My name is Marvin Yue. Joining me is Han Wen and Jess Ju. And we're here today to talk about some of the recent entertainment news and ask ourselves if we want this or not. Uh, so... Um, Jess, why don't you start us off with uh, our first story? Okay, so the Hollywood Reporter reported that there is in development a $70 million sci-fi film called B, which which follows a scientist who discovers dangers associated with a program he created to perfect human DNA and helps the artificially intelligent woman he designed, Erica, escape. But twist... Erica is going to be played by an AI robot designed by Japanese scientists. So a completely anim like not just animated, but an AI. Like it's it's weird. I'll be upfront about it. We don't want this. It's creepy. <laughs> okay, like this is how Skynet wins. What happened to Uncanny Valley? And I think there are just really, really weird layers to having a bunch of men design an AI female Asian robot actor that's going to simulate humanity. Like, it's just all kinds of freaky to me. Yeah, I mean, I don't know if we want this as a human race, but also, like, if Alicia Vikander <laughs> can win awards playing a robot in um, Ex Machina, like, why not give this, you know, if, if you're looking for... There's plenty of actresses who, like, would be great for this role it's it's so bizarre and i don't know any actor who goes into acting because they want to act against a robot like (laughs) i I really don't know if in in not just actors but i guess like just creative people in general i wonder how many of you got like maybe i'm being a luddite here but i i do tend to err on the side of being a luddite but i i just I don't understand. It seems like such a novelty and and, and like at, at 
at the most harmless, it just seems like a waste of money novelty when you can have an actor play a robot. And then on the like other side, far like the more nefarious side of the spectrum, like the questions about like humanity and like representation and not even talking about the socio like the economic opportunities like Asians are ready don't get cast and shit so we're gonna lose our jobs not only to white people but to robots how much and now I sound like Andrew Yang so great (laughs) now I'm even more mad how much of this 70 million dollar budget do you think is going towards the robot hmm a lot. Are they actually uh, saving money or actually spending more money on? I think they're spending more money. Do we and, know? Yeah. Sorry. Do we know who the creative team is behind this? The is that people even, doing the robot or the people doing the no, movie? No, not the robot. The movie. It's going to be Bondit Capital Media. They're the financing group, um, and New York's Ten Ten Global Media. So we don't have writers or pro- producers or director yet, right? Creators. Based it's based on the story by vision. According to the article, it's based on the story by visual effects supervisors. So Eric Pham, Tariq Zodi, and Sam Cozy all seem like men. Yes. This, so this is actually my issue. It's not necessarily the AI aspect of it, but that the scientists who created Erica and the people who are writing Erica's lines and actions are all men. Exactly. And so, and so that is bringing to mind like the 80s movie weird science where they created the perfect woman and it was Kelly LeBrock and I'm just like I'm so tired of like I know it's the classic sort of like tale uh that was like my fair lady um and it's just uh, I yeah I'm very tired of men like like Frankensteining women right right basically and then like I don't want to see their version of what a woman is um, and their gaze it's basically the male gaze throughout the whole process but like on steroids because because <laughs> right. at least with my fair lady i mean the whole point of my fair lady is like eliza pushes back and he kind of real i mean i hate the ending of the movie but <laughs> mm-hmm. um you know it's that there's that element of like she's still a real person with her own goals and dreams and we actually get to follow that through the movie it's I just like we already know that like algorithms, things as like Google algorithms are racist and sexist and classist and ableist. Like we we sh- or if you don't know, you should know that. Like people, like algorithms are not neutral because people program algorithms, and well, algorithms yeah. tend to be sexist, right? And, and and facial recognition is not just sexist; it's also racist. It's racist. So it's like yeah. all the bad <laughs> things we're trying to work against you know to work on dismantling so this just seems like a step in the wrong direction it's creepy it like this whole again like it's it's men doing this creepy frankenstein thing on ultra steroids you know it's very much like that what was that quote like <laughs> did you ask if we could did you ask if you should <laughs> yeah you, you like you spy were, kids you're so well, busy asking if you could that you didn't could. ask yourself if you should you did, yeah you didn't bother to and that was actually from Jurassic Park and it sorry was, okay <laughs> Ian Malcolm right I mean that was a Jeff Goldblum Jeff Goldblum's right character <laughs> however I wouldn't be surprised if spy kids also had that because it's oh. a very popular line so it's yeah. appeared in a lot of things I'm thinking about the Spy Kids lines where like, do you think God took a look at his own creation and was scared of what he saw? I think like Steve Buscemi delivers. <laughs> oh this my line. god, Steve Buscemi, I can believe it. <laughs> so there's no, there's no director attached. There's no coast human co-star attached. Again, I think I, I like the conspiracy theorist in me is also just thinking this is like one step towards like a clone army. It's going to be the Clone Wars, and it's going to be bad. And they're they're priming like. They're priming us to accept it through like the soft power of pop culture so that when it becomes militarized, because it's going to become militarized because you don't do shit just to make movies like this technology, big money is in military, military industrial complex, right? <laughs> so again, I'm like, I know I sound crazy, but like it's, it's I'm I mean, probably not crazy. It could no. also just be yeah. like, I mean, definitely a sensational story, right? Like, what the fuck, a robot? But, like, the chances of this actually, like, being good or even happening, I think it's still very, like, because Uncanny Valley is still very much a thing, right? The reason Mm -hmm. Ex Machina worked is you believe that this was a sentient robot 
or artificial person who would pass like the Turing test at least, right? Where like I don't know if we're at that point with our own AI. You know? I mean, think about like Polar Express and how that CJ was too realistic. It didn't do well because it was definitely <laughs> like deep into Uncanny Valley. So hopefully, yeah, this movie just bombs and like no one, no one has to watch another AI robot act. I mean, we're not going to stop seeing like robot women being made because I think unfortunately it's like if if not for this they're they're still going to make them oh yeah I mean the porn I can't even imagine the porn Mm -hmm. that's going to happen but like so but no we do not want this (laughs) we don't all right we do not I'd agree with that all right Han what's your story what's your first story all right so interesting uh developments in the animation whitewashing um field yes yes. on wednesday two animated comedies uh announced significant changes in their cast so jenny slate who uh voices the biracial teen missy on big mouth it's that puberty comedy on netflix um she explained that she would no longer play that role, saying that uh, black characters should be played by black actors. Um, a, few, a few hours later on uh, Central Park, which is a new Apple TV Plus series that's from Bob's Burgers creator Lauren Bouchard, um, said that Kristen Bell would no longer play Molly, who is also a biracial character. Um, uh, so and then shortly after that is kind of all, you know, Everyone started piling on, even though Bojack Horseman is done. Awesome Brie um, expressed regret for portraying Diane Wynn. Um, and uh, let's see, the Simpsons uh, producers said the very least possible, which was we will no longer have non-white actors playing um, non-white characters <laughs> voicing them. <laughs> I was like, wow, good for you. After how many seasons? 30? <laughs> um, uh, and Mike Henry also, uh, who plays Cleveland Brown, he was on the Cleveland show, but he's still a character on um, uh, Family Guy. Uh, he said that he will no longer be playing Cleveland Brown. So do we want this? On the one hand, yes, we do want people to finally realize and wake up and and we want the non-white characters to be played by the actors who are of that background. Um, and, you know, for all the reasons that we've been saying this for a long time now, um, not only does this mean that since we are marginalized and not having, you know, these opportunities uh, because these jobs keep going to white actors and we finally are going to get a chance, it also helps into you know in other ways like it helps inform the character i don't know how many times people were like when bojack horseman started and they're just like oh my god there's a character named diane Wynn. you need to watch it and i was just like but she can't even say her last name right and i was just like (laughs) i was like and so they're like isn't it great and i'm like i'm not against allison brie but like there's definitely things and i don't think every asian character has to have super stereotypical asian aspects but that's why they need an actual asian actor to be able to inform them on what things should and shouldn't be um and so we've been talking about this for a long time now and this is why i'm just wondering like applaud people for not doing that going forward however do you actually understand why and i think that's the problem is a lot of people like still don't understand the why they'll say well bojack wasn't played by a horse you know or they're like, well, Nancy Cartwright plays Bart, you know, a little boy on on Simpsons. And I was like, it's not about children and animals, you know, being underrepresented. <laughs> it's about like uh, gender and racial disparities in hiring practices. <laughs> and so I, it's- I'm just kind of like, how did you not know this wasn't a wasn't a bad choice before you took the job um kind of a thing and i mean allison Bree's apology i don't really care because she had at least what like four i mean we were talking about how it was weird as a community like season one right they had five seasons to correct this issue and they chose not to for whatever reason i don't know i wasn't in the room they even kind of like doubled down and like try to explore more of her like Vietnamese-ness, which was like kind mm-hmm. of awkward. Mm-hmm. Um and I think I think and you know the creator of Bojack and showrunner of Bojack Horseman 
uh, Raphael Bob Waksberg has gone on record and he he's given some pretty good interviews and has like owned up to his mistakes. Um, I, it just baffles me. So I'm not trying to say like he gets a free pass, but I, I think he genuinely has like digested, absorbed and is, con- is having that conversation with himself. Um, but it's just like, it, it seems to be one of those things where like people now only care because other white people are doing it. We've been saying this about Apu about, and we I mean, just like collectively, I think is like Asian Americans have been talking about Apu about Diane Wynn about things like this. And like, let's be real at the end of the day, like this is not the most church. Like this is not the priority issue, right? Like, it, like facing our community. Like, yeah, it really sucks. Um, especially when you're taking a job away from an Asian person. Mm-hmm. But, you know, the grand scheme of things, like, we got to go abolish ICE and, like, you know, like, healthcare and, like, more garrious whitewashing I mean, terrible things. This it, it all goes, though, into the same category because having an inaccurate or, uh, like, stereotypical portrayal of an Asian character is harmful to real Asian Americans um, because people don't see them as real people. So that's why it's super important. For, like when we talk about representation matters, it's not just because we want jobs. It's because it has real world effects on how people view people. So I mean, I think yeah. <laughs> I think so for me, it was always disappointing when I saw that Asian characters were played by white people. Um, I mean, you don't see them, but then that revelation when you looked at the cast list was, was always like, oh man, that sucks, right? I think the real thing here is not just for the consumer, but for the decision maker, right? Um, the reason this keeps happening is because people think, oh, you can't see them, so it doesn't matter who they are behind the mic. And that's been just how these casting people and how these directors have approached casting. Like they always say, oh, we're, we're going to cast the best person for the job, which is code for like, you know, we're going to cast a white dude because they can play anything. Right. And that's just an excuse that gets expanded when it comes to animation, because honestly, it's it is all voice. But at the same time, like for the people who care about that representation, it does matter. Like the fact that like, like I love Alison Brie, like, you know, she's a great actress. She's really good at everything she does. She didn't need to be. Um, Diane Wynn, right? She could have been Diane, like Smith, and it would have been fine. Like it, it, it's sort of like lip service to have an Asian American animated character and not have an Asian American or Asian, you know, of Asian descent actor because it actually does harm the character. Like she in it, it, the Vietnam episode, um, they did bring in consultants and they had you know. Uh, translator and all that and like i loved aspects of the episode but it was very cringy still because it was still very sort of like introduction to vietnam you know (laughs) um and it was like was that is that but then again of course she being an asian american who had never who couldn't even speak the language and had never been to vietnam before like that was fine like it 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 wasn't quite you know what i wanted but I gave him lots of props for trying and I did spe- uh, interview uh, Vivi Wynn, who was the translator for the episode and consultant. And she actually played a couple of characters. She's also on um, what is that show that <laughs> a Big Bang spinoff? Sheldon. Um, young yeah, Sheldon. Look, yeah. Young Sheldon. So she's on that show. So she's a great actress. And then also I spoke to uh, Tao Wynn, who is uh, of Tao and the get down stay down so she did the song the vietnamese version of the song uh the bojack song at the beginning which actually rocks um and or actually she did the end credits i think and um so yeah it was like they made a good effort they're trying i'm all for trying at least they put some stuff on there that was a little bit more authentic than what had previously been put on and yeah and that's actually why having someone behind the scenes as the voice it could have changed the character to make her more authentic from the beginning. So when you say we don't see, I mean, we it's only a voice. It's actually not a voice. There's a person behind that voice. And that person can bring other aspects and knowledge to their acting. Yeah. I would and even say, I mean, yeah. <laughs> no, I would say though, like it also just needs to start even before the voice acting. It needs to start with writers in the room, it's, people, all the creators. Creating. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and, but that's also you know, why. 
And for me, it's just also like you literally have a fucking character who is a humanoid horse as your main character. You couldn't do a voice switch like midway through the series. Like, okay, like there's one pro of animation. It's like you can actually, in fact, change the actor fairly easily. And of course, correct. I mean, I mean exactly. we have um, we 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 know Hunch. there are act- Asian actors in that show. Like our friend Will Choi plays like a beaver, right, or some sort of like yeah. And then Hong Ch- Hong Chao was uh, Pickles the dog, and wasn't later. Um, I think was only for one season. Yeah. So yeah. So happy. <sighs> well, at least we're still anyway. getting Tuku and Birdie. Yes, and I do have see. This is where. Even though Lisa Hanawalt is a white woman, she is a woman, and she learned from all of that because she she was the she's the designer of BoJack Horseman. She gave it the look, and um, that's why there's still an um, anthropomorphic animals on Tuka and Birdie because that's just her style. And she cast Ali Wong and Tiffany Haddish in the lead birds. So uh, <laughs> <laughs> I love it so much that I'm so excited it's coming back. But uh, yes, animation. And Disney shows have uh, animated shows have been very much about casting multiculturally for a while now. Well, let's hope they learn their lesson and going forward, the animation world realm uh, will make better choices. Yeah. All right. I got a story for you, too. And I think it's pretty awesome. The Hollywood Reporter broke that. Um, Nanatsuka Khan, who was the showrunner of Fresh Out the Boat, has um, reached a deal with Netflix to adapt a upcoming book by Indonesian-based author Jesse Q. Sutanto called Dial A for Aunties. Um, so Dial A for Aunties is described as crazy rich Asians meets weekend at Bernie's, uh, centering around the story of a young wedding photographer who, along with her mother and aunts, tries to hide the body of her blind date while working the wedding of a wealthy client. So... <laughs> It's like wedding. It's like Crazy Rich Asians meets Weekend and Bernie's meets season one of Downton Abbey. Actually, like <laughs> that thread, that storyline. <laughs> so uh, this is based Turkish. on. Um, so this book actually hasn't come out yet. The book we just announced, like on Books and Bo, we just announced the book deal a month ago. Um, and it's excited out now. for release twenty twenty one. So within a month, they've already sold the rights to Netflix to make this show, which is like whoever Jesse Sutanto's agent is is pretty boss i mean snaps to jesse <laughs> satanto's agent <laughs> um but i remember some additional details about the plot from the publisher's weekly announcement which is i guess her blind date dies in the middle of her working this this um wedding and so she calls her mom who then gathers the aunties to come and rest like take care of the situation so as people who have dealt with countless asian aunties i'm very excited for this premise um, and the chaos that will ensue. Just think about all the Asian casting in it. I'm so yeah. excited. And who gets to play the dead guy? <laughs> oh, oh, that's so That'll be fun. fun. That's going to be a yes. fun role. Uh, yeah, no, that sounds fun. So, so I assume it will premiere on Netflix. This sounds like a great, just like, I'm going to drink wine and eat popcorn yeah. in my jammy jams. I mean, movie. when you think about it, yeah, like Nanashka Khan has a deal with Netflix and she did, she directed Always Be My Maybe. Um, so, which was hilarious. Uh, of course, written, co-written by, you know, uh, by Ali Wong and Randall Park. And Michael Lanko. And Michael Kalanko. Yeah. And they're, always they're all very funny people. Yes. So, so I'm excited. I wonder who is. I wonder if she's writing this one, or if um, she's going to have a co-writer, or maybe if Jess, uh, the author Jesse, is going to jump on to co-write. But it'll be it'll be mm. fun. Yeah, it sounds yeah. fun. And it's something that I could probably share with my mom. Oh my god, <laughs> they would probably love it. <sighs> yeah. All right. So we want it. So oh, yes. yes. Do we, we want this? I think I I want it. Do we you want, want it? it? Yes, we want <laughs> it. We want, want it. it. Um so speaking of adaptations, Jess, what do you have? Another very exciting news about an, an upcoming adaptation is that Amazon has picked up a YA comedy series titled Nancy Wu Done It um from I think I think you know we're all familiar with Kai Wu. She is a co EP on Carnival Row and other, sh- uh, and she she show ran Ghost Bride, 
And Jessica Henwick, who you know from uh, Iron Fist, she's like the only redeeming part of Iron Fist. And um, she's one of the Sand Snakes. It's so frustrating she- that they canceled that right when she became Iron Fist. Spoiler. Right? Spoiler. I mean, Sorry, let's everyone. reboot it. Let's reboot it. Let's bring her back. But as like a another Asian Jess, from one Asian Jess to another Asian Jess, <laughs> super excited. Um, you know, I don't know if you've like read the reports, but she was like on the short list to play Ray as well. Mm. Uh, which would have been oh, so really? fucking dope. Yeah. And she's in Star Wars. She's like a pilot. I don't know if she was shortlist, but she was definitely on the list. And I think she did test. Um, so like it's it's, well, so she's it's gonna about be a, in the upcoming yeah. Matrix movie as well. I mean, her career is doing great. I think it's all well deserved. Uh, but like I feel like the show was made for me because I love one mysteries. I love two, YA shit, and three, it's Asian women. Um, so the story follows a frustrated Asian American YA author who finally, who suddenly finds herself trapped in one of her books. But the twist is that she hates the books she's written and now she's like basically living the main character's life. Uh, I think it's just a really cute, fun spin on the gumshoe. Like, like Asian American detective, like hard-boiled detective is probably one of the earliest Asian pop culture, American pop culture kind of tropes, like positive tropes we've seen. Um, so to see it from a female perspective, a young female perspective, uh, it it sounds really, really fun. And I cannot wait. <laughs> yeah, it sounds like, so the added twist is um, the her main character, the detective in, from her books that she hates is an actual person in the world that she has to actually work with now. So I can just imagine, like, imagine writing a character that you don't like, that you know all their intimate details of how they work, and now they're an actual person that you're talking to. I think um, this is definitely going to be like an author's like show. I'm so excited. I want this. <laughs> <laughs> we want it. We want it. We need, we need like four seasons right now. Um, You know, and you know, like, in the past episode, we talked about, you know, ACAB and Abolish the Police. So the fact that this is a procedural mystery show without that aspect is, I think, something also needed. That's a very good point. Yes, we can solve problems and crimes without the police. Yeah, and I'm I'm interested. I mean, Kai is extremely smart and talented, and I think they're going to bring in, like, gen, like, not necessarily, like, be like tragic or you know it's a com at the end of the day it's a YA comedy series but like series like murder she wrote with jessica fletcher like she very much used people's underestimation of her to her advantage um because she was like an older woman and i i hope that's what we'll see in this uh show and i'm really interested to see like the level of mystery or like the level of YA. like is it gonna be a little more wholesome like because it's like pleasant because I, I know in the article they said it's kind of going to be like Pleasantville-ish. Um, so is it going to be like a little more wholesome mysteries? Like who stole the money from the bake <laughs> sale? Or is it going to be like Riverdale? Like who killed the, the body washed up in the river? Who killed this person? And maybe maybe it'll be both. I mean, I can see it starting out with like Nancy Wu comes like draws comparisons to Nancy Drew. Hardy Boys, like those kind of like, you know, yeah. young reader mysteries. But like Pleasantville, maybe the presence of the author starts corrupting it. So it starts becoming like Riverdale. Oh, yeah. Oh, that would be great. And I'm just like, I hope it's like a beautifully like diverse cast. Like I want to see oh, they're all gonna a be bunch hot. of. They're all going to be I, hot. I'm very excited, but like hot and li- <laughs> like hot and like, oh, yeah. No, sorry. I'm getting a fluster. <laughs> I mean, What's talking about Riverdale. What's the point of a teen show if you're not going to like load it up with like ridiculously attractive people, right? But like, let's hope this version has like ridiculously attractive, like non white people at the center of it. So, you know, I'm all for it. I'm very (laughs) excited. We want it. We want it. I love it. All right, Han, what's your next story? (sighs) So. You know how we were talking about like you need people behind the scenes and the creative people to be of diverse backgrounds, too, because that affects what happens on the screen. And in the absence of having someone who is writing your material, um, because uh, let's see, we recently saw the um, Killing Eve writers room celebrate via Zoom, you know, finishing the season. And they quickly took that photo down because every single person on there was white and they got um, a backlash about that. Oh, they so, got skewered. 
Yes. And it also was not a great season for Killing Eve. Uh, so anyway, we are making the Emmy rounds um, because Emmy's uh, voting end, uh, starts, I think, July 13th. And so you, that's why you're seeing so many actors in uh, TV shows doing these great long form interviews. And Sandra Oh is definitely one of the better interviews because even when I talk to her, she's very... She wants to give you a very truthful answer and will take time to think about it, which is a little nerve wracking sometimes when you have only like 10 minutes or 15 minutes. And sometimes if she doesn't have an answer for you, she will be like, oh, I don't know, Han. You know, why don't you tell me? And I'm like thinking like I can't quote because no one wants my quote. Um, <laughs> but yeah, so she she gave a very great answer. Um, so LA, to the L.A. Times when they did an Emmy's roundtable and um she said that her authorship of her own work has grown. So she's trying to infuse more pieces of my character's ethnicity and cultural background, you know, into her projects. And we definitely have seen that more in Killing Eve as a this season, for example, like she goes to the grocery store and she has so much nongshim ramen. <laughs> it's crazy. Uh, she works at a Korean restaurant um, in the very first episode. Uh, last season, she speaks Korean. Um, on the phone to her mom. Uh, so yeah, it, it's it's more in there. But in particular, she said that um, she was talking to the sound people and she said, hey guys, you're layering in the sound of me wearing shoes in the house. I don't wear shoes. My character doesn't wear shoes. I know you don't see the feet, but don't layer in the sound of shoes in the house because that doesn't happen. So we just talked about this. No Take shoes in the house. Take your fucking <laughs> shoes off in the house. I mean, because I, I, I think she knows that, like, if people hear the sound of shoes of her in the house, everyone will call her and, like, why are you mm -hmm. wearing shoes in the house? Yeah, it's really funny how they were trying to overcorrect something they thought was incorrect. And she's like, no, 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 no. You were, you, you know, basically audio whitewashing <laughs> uh, the situation. And and this also goes back to everything like we were just talking about Babysitter's Club. Kim's Convenience, the same thing. They like they don't show them taking off the shoes all the time, but they're definitely they made a montage to point out. Yes, the characters do take off their shoes. Um, Always be my maybe there's a scene where like it was a great scene actually at a party where these girls are running into the house. They take off their shoes, hold them and go to the backyard and put them back on. Um, I have, I don't know about you, I have flip-flops at the front door and back door, um, so I can change into my slippers to flip-flops right away well, if I need to just run out. Right, I was going to ask, do you have indoor slippers? Because that's Yeah, you got and the house slippers, slippers too, yes. right? Of course. <laughs> so my, I, I get excited about like when my slippers like you know wear out and then I can like order new ones. And I'm like, what cute ones I'm going to order this time. What do you mean order new ones? You steal the ones from the hotel. You from the hotel. Do, my, parents, my parents I, have, I have cleaning. First of all, like I don't go to hotels enough. <laughs> um, but I also do like ordering them because they're cute. They're like, I get Asian slippers that have faces on them and animals. My parents I, have been cleaning out their garage and there's legit a whole cardboard box, like a banker's <laughs> box in the garage of just the free hotel slippers they've like accumulated and I'm like why don't you just like toss that and she's like no we might have guests and we need to have pairs it's for great. all of them I, I definitely notice that when I go to Airbnbs or a, a house sitting um, gig which you know I don't know if those are happening anymore but yeah I appreciate it when they offer hotel slippers <laughs> yeah I remember that being a uh, a sore spot at for fresh off the boat uh, when yes you would see them wearing shoes in the house. And then that like all of us are like, that's not real. And um, to all the boys that. I love before. Uh, yeah. The, it, it was, it, it's interesting. And, and the thing is, yes, that is one thing I would like people to learn, but it, it was because of her having an Asian creative uh, because she's a producer on the show. Um, playing this character that can inform it so would it have been nicer if a producer or a writer were asian yes um but this was also the sound people so <laughs> uh hey. who knows yeah i will say i mean i we love i love sandra i've seen her mm -hmm. speak she's spoken for us and she is so dynamic like you just can watch her forever so of course she's like such a badass but again i think this illustrates like not just in front of the camera, behind the camera, writing, but even like below the line, 
everything editors sound designers it's just everything needs to be diversified because yes she is a producer but how many people on sets who are not white or like not you know male have to kind of do this extra work unpaid i know there's been a lot of conversation about like translating like if you mm. ask an actor to translate your work you better fucking pay them an mm. extra fee to do that work because are you asking your white actors to that do that same amount like i don't think jody comer has to you know worry about are they going to get xyz right in this shot um so again just really important that everything becomes more diverse or like you know if you're gonna do that you have an obligation to educate yourself about guys i've been like compiling research for like another for my actual work project and everything is googleable like everything <laughs> is googleable guys like i was googling like sri lankan american religious demographics and i can find that information okay like you can google stuff like <laughs> Do age do Korean people wear shoes in the house? It's just shocking to me how little people actually want to research. I am a researcher by nature, not just because I'm a writer. I just, you know, you're curious and you if you're looking into something, you want to know. Um, but like, yeah, I know journalists who I have to be the one who says, you know, send them the link that's like, let me Google that for you. Like, you know, <laughs> like I sh it's it's it helps that I'm an editor. Um, because now it's my job to make sure people get stuff right. But at the same time, yeah, I was like, you as a journalist should want to get it right first. Um, so yeah, it's kind of strange to me when people don't, because it is so accessible. It's, it's one of those things where I'm like, I don't, you know, suffer from not having my phone because I want to be on social media. I, I'm suffering because I can't look stuff up. And <laughs> so I just don't know this I don't know why people don't realize they don't know things. Maybe that's it. Privilege? <laughs> Probably. Probably, yeah. Yes. <laughs> um, so, yes, I guess both of my examples were from the perspective of people of privilege kind of waking up to things by having people <laughs> pointing it out to them. Hey, we better want late it. than never. But so yeah. we want it. It's just late. I'm a little frustrated. But yes, we still want it. <laughs> But we want more of it. But we want more and we don't want to keep coming back to this another three or four years because it's like that's what happened with the animation and voiceovers. So, yeah, remember it, yeah. believe in it, follow through. Yeah. All right. Our last story is um, another announcement. Uh, pretty exciting. Margot Robbie and Christina Hodson are going to reteam for a new Pirates of the Caribbean movie for Disney. Christina Hudson and Margot Robbie last teamed up for the Birds of Prey movie that was the last movie I ever saw in the theater before this whole thing started. <laughs> with me. Along with Jess. <laughs> that was um, a good time, Marvin. I had a really good time. That was a good film. And so, yeah, Hudson's been tapped by Disney to write a new female-fronted Pirates of the Caribbean um, vehicle for Robbie to star in. So, I guess, um, do we want this? I mean, sure. If If... Depends on who that they else they get creatively, but if they are still committed to the diversity that we saw for Birds of Prey, then yeah. And then also when you're talking about um, pirates, we definitely have had Asian pirates. So the hope would be that they have more and it, they, they, they just explore way more than the original series ever did. If Margot Robbie is going to star, then it's obviously not going to be about my Chinese dowager pirate badass <laughs> queen, which upsets me. Um, I'm more offended about the general pirates of the Caribbean thing. Those <laughs> other than the first one, those were not good movies. Um, I've I have never some of the angriest emotions I've ever felt in my life were walking out of the theater after watching a Pirates movie. Uh, but Christina Hodgson is a very talented screenwriter. She wrote Bumblebee as well, which I thought was, you know, if she was able to ground a Michael Bay franchise about <laughs> fighting, talking, anime, um, like anamorphic automobiles and like make that touching i i i will give her the benefit of the doubt i think she i mean i believe in her i think she can very much write a great pirates movie i think margot robbie's a great actor um my only i'm just salty <laughs> pun intended about you know the the definitively the coolest story is about a chinese woman pirate 
And they better not be doing that. I, I, all I know is if they include this Chinese woman pirate, even if it's a not the main character, I feel like that person will be so great that they will just have to spin off and ha- make her own. I say, I say, I say, cast Gemma Chan <gasps> as this badass Asian pirate, Chinese pirate lady, and then just spin her off, give her her own trilogy. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. I, mean, I, just, I, I just made you billions of dollars, Disney. Come on, <laughs> because then that also brings in, you know, because they really need that billions of dollars. <laughs> and then you can tie the ride in Shanghai Disneyland to this new movie. It's that ride is phenomenal. Um, in the the technical aspects of that ride is phenomenal. The the, yeah, yeah, it's, it's like fucking amazing. Three D. It's like it's, like it's so it's much better so than ours. Incredible, so but it's like the worst storyline because it's like Davy Jones and like. No one cares about Davy Jones. Sorry, Bill Nye. You're great in other things, but no one gives a fuck about Davy Jones. Um, so you know, like there's like horizontal integration opportunities there. There's 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 merch, you know. Um now I would love another language. I would love another <laughs> Halloween costume option. <laughs> yeah. Yes. No one's seen Mulan, so I can't even be Gong Li's character with the bird feathers <laughs> because no one would get it. It's like when I was, I was, uh, I that was Rose got Tico too, right? Yeah. Mm. Yep. But I was Rose Tico for Halloween, the Halloween before Star Wars Last Jedi came out, and no one fucking knew who I was. Yeah, that's the problem when you dress up before the movie comes out because I did that for Hunger Games, and I'm like. Didn't you even read the books? Um, no, Americans don't read, Han. No, I don't. Or at least they weren't at the party. So. <laughs> yeah, I think I agree. I want this in terms of I want more Christina Hodson projects. Um, Christina Hodson and Margot Robbie have made a great team. If they if they get Kathy Yan to direct this again, that would mm-hmm. just be like the return of the dream team. Yeah, um, I it, yeah, I think it's but, baby steps still, but eh, would we have preferred yeah. a more Asian centric? <laughs> but do I want another Pirates of the Caribbean movie? And here's the thing: it's not the only <laughs> Pirates of the Caribbean movie in production. There is another one, um, led by dudes. Um, I don't know their names. I just know there's a eh. there's a, there's a we definitely don't want that Pirates one. Of the we don't need that one. We don't need that one. We don't need that one. I'm yeah. sorry, but like how many Pirates movies have there been? Like five? One in five? That's a 20% success rate. That's terrible, okay? like. But they all make bajillions of dollars. I, I mean, I guess. You're right, but like... What's the I over just, under I, of Johnny Depp being in this one as a cameo? Uh, Do we want that? No. We don't want it, because he just Johnny Depp's everything. Um, yeah, but I just don't... I don't need him. <laughs> I'm still waiting for my all-female Fast and the Furious movie. I know that's supposed to be happening. Yeah. I would rather have that than a Pirates one, but, you know. What would you call that movie? I'll take it. Would that be a mainline, or would that be like a Hobbs and Shaw joint? I hope it's a mainline. Like, just to re- reboot the whole thing, you know, and make it with a bunch of women, make make a heist film. You know, like I want, my, I want my nine movies with this cast, with the all-female cast as well. Who would be the dom? Who would crew? be dom? Who Who is so ridiculous? Oh, um, no question about it. It has to be okay. It has to be someone like so charismatic that you like see them once and you're ready to leave it all behind. <laughs> so my nominees are Zoe Kravitz because I would mm. murder someone for her, <laughs> or Rosario Dawson. Also mm, would murder yeah. someone for her. She as she and Rosario has that like, like, in like that like leadership kind of quality, mm-hmm. right? Like I feel like she could command shit. Or or I think maybe Zoe Kravitz can be the Paul Walker to Rosario Dawson's. Mm-hmm. Uh, I say Vin both. Diesel, and that's because right. it's kind of like a like because Paul Walker's character is like a little greener around the edges and like you know was being oh, out hustled go- by Vin Diesel. We got to add Jessica Henwick since we know she's already. Uh, I think Lana Condor. Um, oh, as far as like you know, she she rode that motorcycle <laughs> on the show. Um, I think we uh, need a like a Janelle Monae as like the the Tyrese. I like it. I like character. it. Um, just yeah. I think I, I mean, Michelle just, Rodriguez got to have a cameo in there. Oh yeah, like, as the old school. You know, ha- yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. She's. I, great. I like it already. So. Yeah. 
<laughs> Sorry, this podcast is now a purely <laughs> um, fantasy draft pick for the female <laughs> Fast and the Furious franchise. Triple F. Yeah. Triple F. I love it. Um, well, there is one more story that just broke the day of recording, uh, which is that um, Never Have I Ever has been picked up for a second season. Woo! Woo! We want it! End <laughs> of discussion. Team Paxton Hall Yoshida. Team Paxton Hall Yoshida. <laughs> uh, yes, we want this uh, and I want it now. <laughs> I do wonder how long it is going to take to get back into production. And will these, some of them are like pretty young. Like, I think Mayetri is like, yeah. she was like 18. I, I mean, I don't know. It's not like a drastic like puberty hit, but I do wonder if it takes like a year to get back into the studio. Well, like, will they look drastically <laughs> older? I well, mean, Paxton Hall, you should already look like she's 30, like He's so. like 30. He is 30. <laughs> well, he's like 30. What I'm thinking is if they can sort of like get this script together pretty quickly and i hope it's not too quickly that slapped together but i have a feeling they've been thinking about it already if they can shoot during the summer this would be the best time because then they don't have to deal with like school tutors and stuff like that for the youngers i mean are they all young are they all older i think they're all like over 18 yeah. they're probably well, like early 20s, I, I think it's but, more the yeah. the um not having people at close proximity to each other that's gonna well no i mean the thing of course, but that's all production at this point. So that's what I'm thinking is like there are certain things in place as far as like how people are trying to produce things. And so, you know, like I don't think a completely closed set is is the case, but they do say like I, I think having a little mini village of all your actors for a, a very concentrated period of time could work. Obviously not going over you know, the hours they're supposed to work. But um, also, I think they're like, you know, you check temperatures, no food cooked on set, I think, or something like has to be brought in. I can't remember what it is, but like, yeah, there are a lot of ways that productions have been trying to get around, you know, and, and work with the guidelines. So hopefully sooner than later, I'm just hoping. But yeah. But we want it. We want it. <laughs> And on that note, that'll also do it for this episode of the Good Pop Culture Club. Thank you, Han and Jess, for joining me and going over the latest entertainment news. Um, if you want to follow both of you on social media, where can they go? I'm on Twitter at Jess Jew Tweets. And I'm at Hanonymous, H-A-N-H-O-N-Y-M-O-U-S. And you can find me and Marvin. You can find the show at Good Pop Club and subscribe to us on Podcatchers Everywhere by going to goodpop.club. Uh, this podcast is a proud member of the Potluck Podcast Collective, a collective of Asian American hosted podcasts. Check out our fellow Potluck Pods by going to the website podcastpotluck.com. And yeah, thanks so much for listening and we'll see you all next time. Steve? What's going on? Tell me, what do you know about K-dramas? Oh, um, they have something to do with the drama that comes from K-cup coffee pots? Because you know they're bad for the environment? Uh, no. Oh, you mean Korean dramas? Yeah, I know that they are very grounded in reality. No, that's actually the opposite of what happens. It, it sounds like you don't know anything about K-dramas. Yeah, I was just guessing. That's actually perfect. Remember Will, Phil, and Joanna did that Korean drama podcast? Yeah, they saw Boys Over Flowers. Yes, and people apparently listen to it and want another season. But Will and Phil are still recovering from that season. Oh my god, are they okay? I did hear they tried to give themselves amnesia. Oh, is that a K-drama thing? Yeah, pretty much. So... Are you guys down to help out with the new season of the Korean drama podcast? So we're going to be watching a K-drama this time? Which one? Secret Garden from 2010. It was a big hit. And if you're down, check out the Korean drama podcast at koreandramapod.com. Kaja! Am I going to see sauna towel buns?